You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. Once again, it's time for a guest to join me and pick their dream 15. 15 players who they would have loved to have seen play together. They also get to choose the kit, the stadium, uh, the opposition and the captain of this side. So it's entirely up to them. This week, I was joined by fantastic rugby writer Alan Dimmock, uh, who's the features editor for Rugby World. If you've not read any of Alan's stuff before, then please make sure you do go and do that. He's a really, really funny guy, and uh, yeah, really enjoy chatting to him. Uh, so yeah, if you don't, uh, if you don't already follow Alan on Twitter or read any of the stuff he does for Rugby World, it's brilliant. Make sure you go and check that out. And uh, yeah, as a, a former forward himself, former front row forward, I thought it might be a bit of an attritional side, but. His is packed full of flair, and you know what? It was just an absolute joy to chat to him, so I really hope you enjoy it. Uh, all that's left to say is a big thanks, as always, to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. So if you want to get your hands on some fantastic quality coffee and support a young Welsh business, then you can do that by going to socoffeetrades.co.uk. You won't be disappointed. Right, time for the show. Picks this, he can shave whichever part of his body he wants. Welcome to another episode of Dream 15 by the Attacking Scrum. This, if you've not listened before, is a version of the show where we invite an esteemed guest to come on, talk us through their fantasy team, 15 players who they would love to see playing together. doesn't have to be the best. It could be the best. It could just be a team full of cult heroes, uh, or it could be a mixture of the both. The choice is entirely up to our guest. 
And alongside that, they'll also be picking the captain, they'll be picking the jersey, they'll be picking the stadium that they like this fictional game to take place in, and they will also be picking the opposition. So it's now time for me to hand over to uh, this evening's guest. I'm delighted to say, joined by top journalist uh, and features editor at Rugby World, it's Alan Dimmock. Hi, Alan. Hi there. I thought you said steamed there for a second, but it was actually <laughs> which, which got me worrying because in this lockdown, I I think I'm now approaching three weeks without ever wearing jeans. <laughs> no, we we've gone for a steamed. It might just have been either a a slight mis a misconnection with the uh, with the Wi-Fi, or it might just be my uh, my enunciation. But uh, yeah, you know, whichever fits, mate. Whichever fits. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Uh, I put a lot of thought into this, uh, um, and I'm glad you said cult heroes because <laughs> I'll be leaning heavily on that side of things. Good. I'm glad you didn't miss here that bit as well. Um, but yeah, well, uh, I, that's that's definitely the, the kind of the route I went through. Don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any of the uh, the old ones, um, the, you know, the old ones, the previous editions of the show that we put out. But um, it's it's been a real mixture. You know, some some guests have gone for. Some of the you know the greatest players the world have ever have ever seen, um, and others have gone for you know like like I did I went for Matthew Morgan at ten just because you know of all the the wonderful Welsh tens that have been in the world uh, I just thought he's the one who brought me the most joy so uh, it's over to you you can pick players from any nationality any club any era it's um, you know the floor is entirely yours and uh, let's start where the magic happens uh, in the number one jersey who were the contenders for loosehead prop. Okay, so this is um, for anyone that's read anything that I've I've done or or read anything about me. Um, I was a front row as a player. Uh, it's an area of the game that I like to focus on. I was a loose head myself as well, actually. Um, and this, I mean, I could talk for ages about players in this position that I love. So, and it's it's honestly a wrench to to leave to not be able to pick a fifteen of. Of loose heads, and I did think about that. I thought, how great would it be to have Rodrigo Roncero, Andrea Lucicero, um Alan Chunk Jacobson, <laughs> all of the team? Incredible. And to be fair, in his pomp, if you'd had Alan Jacobson popping up anywhere on the pitch, I swear to you, there was a period uh, in the mid noughties where it felt like he was owed at least one thirty to forty meter break a game. Because he would just pop up out of nowhere and just an un- unbelievable talent, hard as hell, as as uh, Midlothian as you get. And he, it was, it was, so it was, it was difficult to leave a lot of these guys out. And a lot of them are just, they never really get the credit that they're due. Um, so it's good, it's good to highlight them then. But they, but in the end, I had to go for a more of a passion play with, with, with my starting loose head. Well, I mean, it- I tell you what, we're going to get you back on on another occasion to do that team of uh, that team of loose head props because I would definitely be interested in that. Uh, you know, I reckon you could forge a brilliant pack, a couple of bruising centres. I'd love to see what the choices at, at nine and ten are, but um, we'll do that another time. Uh, what, who have you gone for then? Le- leaving out the likes of Le Chichero and uh, and Alan Jacobson. So I I'm a, a Dundonian, and um, for years and years I was brought up. Uh, I basically spent my childhood in the clubhouse of. Dundee High School FP's um, RFC. Uh, my father had captained them. He played with some phenomenal players. Um, 
Scotland internationals, Lions, uh, for the club. He'd coached them and he went on to be president. And one of the guys that he coached, who he brought up uh, through the team, was Tom Smith. Mm, wow, and, man. And certainly if you're a, when I, you know, I mean, I'm certainly not at playing weight now, but for someone from Dundee, if you were a, a, a smallish front rower, to try and emulate anything that he played because he was the you know he was one of the first of the modern props really he could do so much more than just scrummage and people tended to take him lightly in the start of his career um and you know he had a lot of work had gone into getting him into that that position but bloody hell look at what he did with his career from there and it's just yeah, and and certainly, and you know, I, I hadn't, I thought, completely disregard. He's a, he's a lovely fella as well. Um, uh, a pleasure to talk to. Um, I bumped into him in Hong Kong last year. He was out there doing some coaching research with the the new pro team that was out in Hong Kong. Ended up having a few drinks with him that night and just chatting away. So I'm such a lovely fella. Recommended loads of restaurants in Bordeaux to go to if you ever got a chance. Where the best wine was just a great guy but that aside if you're talking purely rugby I just think it would be silly not to have him as well said I mean considering that the, like we say this this um, this team is about you know who's brought you the most joy as a, you know obviously being a Scotsman yourself you've seen those fantastic performances he put in in a, in a blue jersey but any Lions fan of a certain age will just look at that 1997 tour and the contribution that Tom Smith uh, provided. It was absolutely remarkable. Absolutely. And the thing is, is, and being completely frank here, I'm of a generation where I can understand why certain Scottish people don't have an affinity with the Lions anymore or never mm. have. Because there's a generation that have just never seen meaningful contributions from Scots. 97 really was the last truly meaningful contribution of starting players in that in that team that, that not only started and were there to represent their nation, but shone. And to, what a revelation Tom Smith was on that tour. Um, incredible. And, you know, I was I was only 10 when the Lions went to went South Africa in 97. But, you know, and I, I wouldn't say that I was a massive rugby fan there. It took me till I was about 14 or 15, really, uh, to get into the sport properly. But everyone knew who Tom Smith was in Dundee, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I stand in choice, and um, yeah, I, you know, I've kind of quite forgotten just just how brilliant um, he was. You know, he, he kind of didn't come into my shortlist, but then just think back, and that that summer was it really shaped, you know, my um, my understanding of rugby that nineteen ninety seven tour. And uh, there's there's so many people who it, it would have bought, uh, you know, just bought, um, yeah, huge amounts of joy to, and you and you're absolutely right there because it, it wasn't. It was by no means tokenism or anything like that. Tom Smith went on that tour because uh, he'd been playing well and was a bright prospect. And he, he shone so hard in there and worked so hard in the midweek games that he kept someone like, uh, you know, like Jason Leonard out of the shirt. And uh, yeah, an absolute, an absolute uh, an astonishing performance on that on that tour. A wonderful pick. Um, who uh, who else we got in the front row then? Who's uh, who were the contenders at hooker? So, uh, you know what? Um, there are a few positions in my team, um, and, and actually, picking Tom Smith, famously a quiet man, uh, there are certainly more demonstrative people in this team, I can tell you. Um, and there are a few positions, hooker, uh, four, and ten, 
where there were no other contenders. They were just straight off the top of the head. Mm. Uh, there were names that went straight down on paper. Everyone else have got a whole ream of names uh, for, for com- uh, people competing for the jersey who I just thought, you know, I'd love to see them play again in their prime or with this group of people. But uh, And there's a bit of an anecdote with this one. Uh, when I when I played, um, I was lucky enough, um, no, no great shakes when I was older, but I was lucky enough to go to two Junior World Cups. And the first one I went to, I was 16 years old, and it was a month away from home in Durban, South Africa. And, you know, you go away to a foreign country for a month for a big tournament, and uh, it's particularly as a teenager that's never really experienced anything like that, it's a hell of a culture shock. And you can spend a lot of time running around hotels, acting like an idiot, or kicking your heels doing absolutely sod all and I hadn't realised because uh, well I'd just never been to the country before you'd heard that rugby was big in South Africa but you had no idea just how big it was and I remember being in a hotel room and realising that there was wall-to-wall rugby schoolboy rugby was being shown on television Um, there were several channels of rugby being played and it was the first time I saw really uh, Skulk Brits playing for the Cats in Super Rugby and tearing up, and I hadn't, see, I hadn't seen a front rower play like that. It was just all action. He was spinning, he was throwing passes, he was just all over the place. And you know, it's incredible to think that he went and did that into the early, the later stage of his career. To, you know, to be in his late thirties and win a rugby world cup, finally getting recognition from his national team. But to see him in those early days playing for the Cats it always stuck with me, and now it never came to fruition. But there's always a thing of, God, what would it be like to be a front rower and play like that? So without doubt, just that moment stuck with me for a large part of my life. So I just thought I had to get him down. I'm quite right too. I, you're right there. It's uh, He's one of those players who well, I think people will look back on, and particularly kind of the YouTube generation. And you look back and go, wow, there was a hooker who threw the ball around like this. And, and he wasn't a mainstay in, in his national team. Um, but I think it was really nice that he got that, you know, that that kind of swan song right at the end of his career, and um, got to kind of bow out, literally bow out in Japan with uh, with some real style. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, he's he's a character. He's uh, he's a lovable guy. People like to people like to not only watch the way he plays, but I mean, just chat away with him as well, or or see what he's getting up to, follow him on social media, that kind of thing. But um, you know, it's just great that he got that that way to sign off and the thing is is he he is a big character my other front rower uh, my tight head is again not a demonstrative guy mm. uh, um when i went out to, to france and spoke to some people about him um he was uh certainly or you spoke to any coaches that worked with him he's quite quiet but I'll, before i get to that the tight head I'll, I'll run you through the checklist of guys that were in the running three, uh, three. so julian white had to be in there because uh, in, in the running because just anyone you speak to, I'll, I'll level with you. I, I was probably scared to, to not put him in because he's just quite a frightening bloke. You just the way you watched him handle himself on the pitch, you thought, God, that guy, yeah. He Monster. comes into the bracket of having natural strength as well. If you see what I mean, yeah. Julian White is wasn't sculpted in a gym. He was sculpted. He was sculpted. You know, wrestling livestock, and there's yeah. something about that that appeals to me, particularly in the tight head. Yeah. Uh, Martin Celso from the 2007 um, Argentina uh, team yeah. was also in the running. I mean, that front row was just unbelievable. Um, they were so lucky to have 
to have them, Roncero, um, Mario Ledesma, Hooker, that front row was just unbelievable. And, and the other guy that I thought of putting in again out of fear was Darren Crompton. Uh, it's now defunct. Oh, yeah. It's now defunct, but I, I played in the first season of the British and Irish Cup for a team called Harry from Scotland and we played against Bristol in that competition and I would have been 21-22 loose head they played um, they played a young uh, Marco Vinopola out of position right head he would have been about 18 at the time now believe me it's rare to see a teenager playing against adults as devastating in the loose but you could see he was finding his feet and I remember playing against him and going Oh yeah, you know what? I, this is this is going all right. You know, this is an elite outfit. We're amateurs, playing pretty well here. Pretty happy with myself. Then they went right. You've run riot enough around the park, Marco. Off you come. Here comes Darren Crompton, and I have never had my reverse lights slammed on so hard or so like just it was embodiment of experience, but just like horrible experience as well. And it's one of those where. It winds me up a bit when you see people talking about front row, front row uh, you know, what what happened there in a game? Because so few of us really know, and you get the elite of the elite guys that have played in the front row at the very top level who also just, you know, it's hard to tell what's going on in there unless you're in there. Um, and one of the things is that, you know, we're, we're the generation that we're, we need to score everything out of 10. And the thing is, is that in a game, you can have the best game of your life, particularly in the scrum, have the best game of your life, and then 15 minutes later, just have the most, the biggest stinker of an afternoon known to man. And Darren Crompton royally shoved my head up my arse. So again, out of pure feet, he had to be in the mix there. But in the end, the guy I went to, and this is pure cult hero, and I, I will never have a bad word said against him, is David Zirakashvili, the the Georgian head, played for Claremont for years. Dato, as he's known to his friends, very quiet guy, uh, apparently very into politics in his, his local community, you know, looks after Georgian guys, is sort of seen as a, a godfather to a lot of Georgian fellas in France, um, and just an absolute in the scrum, and a guy that I've just enjoyed watching loads and loads. I'm intrigued about the dynamic of this uh, of this front row as well, because you've got you know, two two smaller guys in uh, in Brits and and Tom Smith, and then you've got, I guess, your archetypal Georgian tighthead. Um, I wouldn't know enough about the front row, Alan, particularly after what you've just said there. How would you see them going in the tight? Well, I think I think the thing is that I mean, David Zirakashvili is only five foot ten and a half himself, so it's actually not a massive front row. Mm. Um, you know, I think you've got two guys that will get about the park. Davids, you're reliable. Dato's the reliable guy in there that you're just going to lean. Just you know that he's got the nous and set piece play. You'd hope that they can get under the opposition team, um, and certainly if they want to, like it's almost like a knuckle of a fist this front row because because of the size of them, um, which is what you want. But also, if you you want to mix it up, they'll go. I mean, Christ, remember Scout Brits. Um, was it him that had the fight on the when that Lions friendly in against the Barbarians in Hong Kong? Yeah, I think it was actually. Yeah, it was Farrell and Scott Brits. Yeah, uh, I, I can imagine Brits was in his ear winding him up. Uh, certainly heard some stories about the Barbarian side of that tour um, and how, how potentially disastrous that was. But that's that's another story for another day. Um, the I just I just think you know they can mix it up if you want, but you know they're going to get the job done and they can at least 
two thirds of that that front row can get around the park. It's a strong it's a strong start, and um, if you don't mind me saying, it's a it's a little bit of a hipster uh, front row there as well. You know, you've not gone for, I guess the the world the world class all star. So you've you've really um you know you've really thought long and hard about this. And I like that a lot. Well, certainly, if we move on to the locks, the the thinking for me is, I just want a bit of bastard in there. I think you have to be, don't you? Like, I I can't think of of you know a great second row who doesn't have a strong streak of bastard in them. So, four it was my one of the three positions where there was just no there was no debate going in. Baki's Bota goes in there. Justice for Baki's. Uh, <sighs> He's in there because he is just an absolute nightmare of a of a player. He's the bogeyman. He's the playground bully, isn't he? But Absolutely. he can take he can take on the other big kids. Uh, I went I went to school with um, Richie Vernon, who was mm-hmm. lucky enough to go to two World Cups uh, for Scotland. One as a back rower, and the uh, and then again as a centre, which is which is you know is rare. Uh, let's just say that. But uh, it's one of the things I talk about with him often is. What it was like because when he played at that World Cup in 2015, he again when they played against South Africa, he got absolutely smoked by Baki's Bota. Um, and and uh, oh, it wasn't that game actually. I can't remember which game it was, but there was a game he played where he made a big break up field and then got absolutely inhaled by Baki's. And it's something we talk about quite a bit um, because it's just there's no way that you'd want to go running down a track and see him at the end of it. No, I think you're absolutely right. He's a, uh, genuinely a terrifying uh, opponent. You know, one of those that that makes me that makes me glad that I only ever have to to watch games rather than playing against someone like him. Um, was there anyone else in the running, or you say that that was one of your picks? Four, it was four, just nailed on. Yeah, four uh, baggies board had to be nailed on. Um, five, uh, though there was there was a few guys in the running. Again, just looking at hard men, five um, considerations were. Jamie Cudmore came into my thoughts uh, again. Cuddles. Yeah, a bit of a hipster choice, but just a horrible man to play against. And Danny Grucock was one of the thinking as well, because speaking to a, a, quite a few people that played with him or a, against him uh, or just watched him around that mid noughties period, there was just, you knew Danny Grucock could handle himself. Um, so and I, it's just a guy that I liked watching um, and I want to put him in but in the end it came down to who can I think of that's got the most lantern jaw and it went to Fabian Toulouse <laughs> the, the former France captain because I thought yeah if, if you want a Mount Rushmore of your front five yeah that guy's already got a, a face face of stone yeah you do want someone who's a bit like the Easter Island heads in there don't you and um, <laughs> he, he definitely fits that but what a decorated player as well. You think, you know, get your medals out. Fabian Pelouse has got his fair share. Absolutely. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure he's in the, the, the World Rugby Hall of Fame. But I mean, Captain France, uh, you know, lots of times. Um, and again, was in there because he had the talent to play. Um, I think he's a physiotherapist. Uh, like, so he's a smart, he's a smart bloke as well. Um, and, you know, if you're going to uh, mix a hard, smart, uh, bit of nouse, um, that's what you want because, uh, well, when I come to picking my captain, I've gone for the novelty choice. But Good. really, he's if you want a pack leader, he's probably the, the fella. 
Oh yeah, though I'm not not short on leaders so far as we as we've only got through the type five, but yeah, a um, a real interesting mix so far. I'm intrigued to see what the back row uh, holds. How interested were you in in picking the uh, the big cliched balanced back row, and how much was this a question of just wanting to get uh, your favourite three back rowers in there? Uh, I just wanted to get three three people that immediately came to mind. Um, looking at them now. There probably would be a balance, but I think that's just because there's um, the three of them could play more than one position, which helps. So, I mean, God, we're going to have that interminable discussion of, oh, don't you need a jackler in there or blah, blah, blah. But um, I think yeah, balanced enough, but purely by accident. There's absolutely no thought process into it. Right. Talk us through. Let's, let's start with uh, let's start with the blind side flank and then talk us through the candidates. So, well, again, it's confusing. The back row always comes confusing as well when you talk about France and South Africa and who they pick where and why and how and uh, what times of the game and that kind of thing. So, what, Joanne Smith came into the thinking because he was just an incredibly hard player. His comeback story was great. I think I actually remember writing something uh, before he first came back with Toulon saying, what the hell is he doing? This seems like, like it seems quite crass, but actually, you know, made you eat your words. Um, Olivier Mania, I think I read somewhere someone described him once as a Rolls Royce of a back row player because mm. he's just the way he played was was great and I was, uh, he's done a couple columns for us in the past in the magazine. He's, he's just a nice guy. He's, he's quite opinionated, which helps. Which helps, but he just a phenomenal player. And then there was just the blunt force trauma of Stephen Ferris came into the thinking as well, uh, and the way that he plays because it's just you know it's just bloody fun to watch. But in the end, it was. Jerome Kano uh, yeah. came in because um, I think I remember um, some people might be familiar with Paul Williams who writes the odd column for, for Rugby World as well of and uh, I think I remember him asking once if you could pick a 15 of just one player to play in the position <laughs> could it be? and without a shadow of a doubt I said Jerome Kano in his, in his prime because the guy was just phenomenal and I think he, you know, he could mix it up if he wanted. He could absolutely hammer people if he wanted. He could jump for balls if he wanted. You know, he could pass. He could play. Not sure what his kicking's like, but I don't think it would really matter. I just think the way John Kano, in his absolute prime for the All Blacks in particular, just incredible. One thing I just want to pick up on there, just when I thought your team couldn't get any more hips, that you start talking about South Africa and left and right flankers just to just to get it in there, but. You've uh, yeah, you've gone for a, for an outstanding choice there in uh, in Jerome Kano. I don't know, I don't know how many caps he had for the All Blacks, but he strikes me again as one of those players who would have well north of a hundred if he had been of another nationality. Yeah, and I think I mean he obviously he took a break between World Cups to go and play in Japan. Um, he um, you know he, he wasn't. He'd had a few injuries uh, in his autobiography. He also talked about um, some lifestyle mistakes that he'd made. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to still, to rack up, I mean, looking at him there, he got 83 caps for New Zealand. Wow. In my head, it was nowhere near that many, but that's, that's astonishing. Yeah, but it's, I mean, to think that he went away to Japan for two, a couple of years um, ahead of, the, ahead of the, the 2015 Rugby World Cup and then to come back and he thought, is he going to be at the races? And, the, you know, it was just one of those things where it's like, oh, just you're waiting for the wheels to fall off of that great New Zealand team and for that generation to, to fade away. And it was absolutely none of it. I mean, probably the reason he's lauded so much is because of his, his tenacity um, and to come back. And at least that's, at least that's why I've gone for him. Well, 
Excellent start. Duran Kano at six. Uh, what about uh, what about seven? Right, you're going to get into me here about if you, you thought the previous choices were hipster. This Secretly, I'm reveling in it as well, Alan, by yeah, the way. So is, you go for it. This is purely because watched him in a game when I was younger and uh, it just always stuck with me. And you know what? I couldn't even, I don't think I'd even be able to describe the way he played, but he's just one of those players where it was a combination of things. His name played a big part in it, for sure. But um, the way that I remember watching him when I was younger, I think I watched him in a, a Heineken Cup final at Murrayfield, which was an absolute steaming dog turd of a game. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I could even be misremembering completely and didn't even play in it. He's just one of those guys that stuck in the head. So seven in the running had to be your all-stars, your George Smiths, your Pococks, mm-hmm. Martin Williams was in the mix. Super, super hipster, but what an incredible career he had, particularly playing club in France as well as for Italy. Bergamasco yeah, was in yeah. the mix as well, just because uh, you have to respect him and his career he's had. But in the end, <laughs> in the end, I went for and it's largely to do with his name, and it's largely to do with the shock of blonde hair that he had for a while. Remy Martin. <laughs> what a choice. We, we were, it was a group of mates of, uh, of mine who I watched rugby with, and we were obsessed with his name. It's just, you know, to be, to be, na- to be have the same name as, what is this, Cognac, isn't it, Remy Martin? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, it's, it's a wonderful name to say with a, with an overly exaggerated French accent, yeah. you know, Remy Martin. And oh, but that is a, that is a wonderful choice. Um, yeah. The shock of blonde hair, uh, the name. And actually you're, you're right. There, there was a real gem of a player in there too. Yeah. He, I mean, he was, a, he was a great player and I think, you know, and he wasn't ignored by France. He, I think just checking here, he got 23 caps. So he wasn't completely ignored. Now bearing in mind that he was playing in the mid, mid noughties. So he's, Playing against, you know, he's he's mixing it up with quite a lot of big names mm. playing for France at that time. I think I've named a couple of them. Yeah, and also you've got the Betsons and the um, and the Anger and these kind of players around the, yeah. the scene. Possibly the Quadrado as well. They had, they had a load of fantastic back row players. So the game that I was uh, misremembering was the 2005 Heineken Cup final, which was Toulouse 18, Stade Francais 12. It was a birthday present, a ticket to me for that uh, ticket for me to that one. I believe it would have been my eighteenth birthday. I think it was, and I went to it, and it was at Murrayfield, and it was just horrific. But one of the things that stuck in the mind was Remy Martin running around in that game, and you know he was playing. He's playing. He played. Actually, played. I mentioned him there. He played with Bergamasco um, in in that um, in that back row for. For Stad, and they just missed out against the Toulouse team that just happened to have Fabian Pelouse at captain. So, mm-hmm. actually, you know, this makes sense that I've gone for these guys. It was just completely accidental. Another couple of them get a mention later on as well. Um, and it stuck with me. It was a horrible game. It was an absolute nightmare to watch. Very few people enjoyed themselves, but there's just something about watching that guy with the shock of blonde hair running around smacking folk that it was quite good. And the name was just brilliant. Well, you might have reached peak hipster there, but I'm hoping that's not the case uh, as we've still got a number of players to get through. Starting, though, with uh, the number eight who's going to complete this pack. So, Lawrence Delalio, player hugely respected. Um, just the way that he performed, he, the way that he led Wasps, particularly in the Heineken Cup and uh, with England, just an incredible player. Never quite got the runner luck he, he, need, he needed, needed with the Lions, which is which is unfortunate, but still an incredible career. But in the end, again, it went for pure purely aesthetics and the way he played. 
um, particularly in the line out, particularly running around with the ball in one hand. Imanol Haranordekui, who's another guy from that French generation, went in. Just what a pleasure to watch him play rugby. And really, what what an incredibly long career, long and decorated career he had. And I just think he's one of those guys that just sticks in the mind. You're right. He seemed to be there for absolutely ages as well, didn't he? You're right, the longevity. But what an all-round day as well. Great ball carrier, great tackler. Uh, and also, it was like he was a steeplejack in the line-out as well. You know, chucking a number eight to steal line-out ball is... Um, it's pretty special. Yeah, and, uh, you know, okay, I'd, I'd completely forgotten until right this moment uh, what he said about hating the English and that kind of thing. Obviously, uh, well, a lot of people won't be too happy about it. Did not factor in my thinking whatsoever. But, um, and, and again, it's it, it's a, he's sort of lost to a, a time when, and it's it's disappeared now, but a time when Perpignan and Biarritz were phenomenal teams that were at the, that were at the the cutting edge of European rugby, um, you know, they were a team that people looked to. Uh, that Biarritz team in particular, I mean, Serge Betson came through there as well, and uh, Yashvili, and it was just, it was at a time where there was just a real sense of something special happening happening in French rugby in particular, and it's, you know, he'd have one taped hand or one gloved hand and the other one wasn't, and he'd have tape around his head. He was offloading over the top of people's heads. He was stealing line-out ball, jumping in front of people, and it's, yeah, memorable stuff. Certainly is. There's a real um, a kind of French theme running through this pack as well, you know, as well as, long as, the, as, well as the, the French internationals in there. You've got players like, you know, Zero Kashvili, who, uh, who played over there as well. Um Again, has this been shaped just by that by that 2005 Heineken Cup final, or is it? You know, have you always been an admirer of the French league? Again, I think it's just circumstantial. As I said earlier, it was when you when you watched rugby and when you got into it. As I mean, full disclosure, I was a supremely fat kid, and my brothers and my father loved rugby. But it took me till I got a growth spurt to really get into the game and to enjoy it, and then. The, you know that became an obsession to a point, and but around that time when I was younger, it was around the period where France were doing incredibly well in the Six Nations, and the French teams were doing incredibly well in Europe, and it's just that juxtaposition of when you first start falling for something, and it's the thing that's most memorable about it. It's purely accidental. I mean, I, I, a lot of this was picked on instinct. It was just the first names that came to mind. Some of them are passion plays, uh, like Tom Smith. Some of them are players that you truly respect and don't think get enough um, credit, like David Zirakashvili, who um, we did a piece at the, before the 2015 World Cup where we said, this is the best tight head in the world you've never heard of. Because the whole point was was trying to, to highlight someone that never really gets the credit. Um, but a lot of these guys, it was just purely gut instinct. Um, and in fact, if we, you know, if we go to... We'd all like. There's a certain style of rugby that we'd all like to watch, and and for that reason, you hadn't asked me to think of coaching team. But I'd, for that reason, I'd pick Jamie Joseph and Tony Brown, the the the, the duo, uh, as who I would think would be great um, to coach this team. Um, and you want it to be all out nonsense, which is why when we get into the backs, there's uh, there's one which is a, a complete passion play, but the rest of it is just complete chaos. And I'd love to see what would happen if we played together. Well, that seems like the perfect time to take a very, very quick uh, break. We've got a fantastic pack and we're promised all that nonsense in the back.
I'm Sam Warburton and you're listening to The Attacking Scrum. Time now for you to reveal your backs, Alan Dimmick. Uh, as I said there before the break, you've promised us all-out nonsense, coached by uh, by Jamie Joseph and Tony Brandt. So this is going to be this is going to be fun. Uh, let's let's get stuck into your contenders for the number nine jersey. So this this nine is is my only uh, passion pick in the um, in the back line um, because this is someone that uh, my family know quite well, but. Um, in, well, firstly, if we go to Scottish roots, um, Gary Armstrong had to be in the mix. He could could well be the hardest man that's ever lived. Uh, and there was uh, there was a period where Mike Blair and Chris Custer were just phenomenal for Scotland. And I had I did consider throwing them in, um, and then purely purely for nonsense because he's just an absolute cult hero. As I thought of Fumiaki Tanaka, who had played for the, the Japanese scrum half, we played uh, for the Highlanders and just absolutely tiny. And just the idea of watching him run around with these guys made me endlessly happy. But in the end, in the end, what I've gone for is a guy who played, um, played in England, uh, played in Australia, um, captain Fiji, but in a previous life, when he was a young man, moved over to Dundee and lived in uh, my family's house for a while. It was the first and we were on the t- his name's Moses Raulini. He's a scrum half and he captained Fiji. And but when he first came over to Dundee, there was a bus trip that sticks in my mind vividly. And it was with I was a kid, I was on the my dad was with the team, they we played away somewhere. It was a bus trip back, everyone was having drinks, and it started snowing, and we realized that it was the first time that Moses had ever seen snow in his life. And he demanded that the bus stop. He ran off and started running around giggling. And it's just one of those great memories from rugby that you think, yeah, that's, that's nice. And the thing is, is that he was not just that, he was just a great player as well. Um, maybe, if we're being fair, maybe not the standard of the rest of these guys, but um, I'd just like to see him get, his, uh, get some time together with these guys. I mean, you, you you say that, but his career was a, was a very very interesting one. Was he at Saracens, wasn't he, for a long period of time? Saracens, yeah. Um, uh, my my fellow uh, Welsh listeners will, of course, remember um, his his role in the two thousand and seven Rugby World Cup. I think he was I think he was nine for for Fiji the day that uh, that that epic game against Wales where they dumped us out. Um, you know, this has certainly got some highlights on there. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, he's. he's He's done a lot of coaching. He coached this in the Saracens Academy for a while. He was an assistant coach to Fiji um, and uh, a very passionate guy, lovely fella. And yeah, you know, he's uh, he's had a great career. Um, would you say he's one of the world greats? Absolutely not. But yeah, screw it. Let's chuck him in here. I just like uh, to go with these guys. It's entirely your choice. So you completely entitled to go for Moses Rolini. Uh, the, the bit that's, that's puzzled me slightly in, in all this is, is how did he end up in Dundee? Um, it was back, back in, I mean, there's still elements of it, but it was back in this time when um, amateur rugby teams would have agents in countries where up-and-coming stars would be sent over. I mean, I, when I played for Dundee, there was certainly a lot of guys that were in and around the, the Dunedin rugby scene, for example. Mm-hmm. There was quite a few fellas that came over from there. There was, a, in fact, that ended up being a real supply line. But there was a period where 
guys came over. And the thing is, is Moses, Moses' brother had actually played for Dundee as well. So there was a, his brother Jacob, who also was a scrum half for Fiji, yeah. played for Dundee previously. So the, both of them ended up playing for, for the club. And mo- uh, quite a few people in, in the UK might know Jacob as well. He played for Rotherham and Bristol and Leeds and Fiji, obviously, um, for a long time. Uh, and he'd sort of blazed the trail and then it was easier for Moses to come over. I never had, I don't think I really had the chance to meet Jacob, but um, Moses um, certainly enjoyed his time in Dundee, I'm sure. Well, it's it's a passion play, but you promised us uh, all that nonsense. And um, starting with a Fijian nine is is always going to be a good key to that. So, uh, an excellent pick there. Who is his halfback partner, or rather, who are the the contenders to uh, to play at ten? There were no contenders at ten. There was <laughs> only one name that came in, and if we're wanting nonsense, it was Peak Carlos Spencer. Oh. Straight in. Yeah, I mean. Um, to, to do nonsense is one thing. To do it in an all-backs jersey, I think, must bring another kind of pressure. It's just, you know, when people invented YouTube, it was for guys like him. Mm. It was just the ability to go, like, sure, look, there were there were brain fades and there were games that could have been a little bit tighter or there were, there, you know, there were times where it didn't quite come off or, you know, there was other guys battering down the door. But at his peak, just incredible. I mean banana kicks and offloads and balls pass through the legs and all sorts and you're right it was done on a test stage I mean he, he must be one of the most naturally gifted footballers in terms of ball, you know in terms of ball skills not just like you know kicking ability but his handling ability he must be one of the the all-time greats and it's, I mean he's, he's still going viral now in lockdown doing skills with rugby balls throwing them into and kicking them into basketball hoops and everything. It's just like, ugh, you know, obscene level of talent. And there are, you know, there are a lot of uh, fly halves that we could talk about who are just world greats and um, did incredible things and are even, you know, will have moments of sheer brilliance, length of the field tries and in- insane kicks and offloads from another planet. But just purely for box office, I, c- I, c- I just... I closed my eyes, trusted my gut, and just went Spencer in. Well, no, no one is going to criticise you for that. And uh, yeah, that's a, a wonderful start to the all out to the all out nonsense. Um, what about the other positions? Let's let's go for wingers next. Um, was this an area where there was more contention? Um, well, you, you know, you picked up on the French thing, and I, I hadn't thought about it until now. But for at 11, I'd considered Cedric Heymans because uh, he was prolific and played really well at a period. Uh, also at 11, I thought Lottie Takiri, um, this guy that could have gone in there. Um, at 14, one of the names that I wanted to put in because just what a, what a conversion rate he had was Vincent Clerc uh, was a name that I wanted to chuck in. But in the end, gone for, <laughs> this is this is pure nonsense, uh, Rapini Thauthau Nabuka at 11 and... Jason Robinson at 14. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, all the little wrangling you're going to have to do with uh, Thau uh, And, you know, structure, yeah, not quite. I remember watching him play against Edinburgh for Agen when he signed for them in the pissing rain. And I've never seen someone more miserable on a rugby pitch in my entire life. But, you know, when he was hot, he was hot. And the, again, 
human highlight reel for the the brief period that he sparked uh, in Super Rugby. He was uh, he just incredible, and then in that 2003 World Cup, just frightening. It's that it's that try against France where I, I don't think I'd ever seen anyone turn on the afterburners quite like he did. I, I think that was his. I think that was the first try um, where he just spotted a sense of you know a sense of yeah that's mine and abs- I can't remember who was playing on the wing for France, but he absolutely gassed him and yeah, thrilling player to watch. I mean, there was a game against Scotland and. I, if Simon Danieli is still waking up in cold sweats thinking about it, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> That's another name I haven't heard for a while, actually. <laughs> Simon Danieli. Um, he, he was once referred to, I can't remember which commentator it was, um, and this is not meant as any disrespect to Simon Danieli, but it was one of the commentators on during Six Nations referred to him as the try-scoring machine. And I thought, that's, that's, a, li- that's a little bit generous. I, you know, without knowing what his try-scoring statistics were, um, certainly at international level, I think to call Simon Danieli a try-scoring machine was probably a little bit generous. Um, but in Thao and Jason Robinson, there, there, are, there are tries aplenty there. Um, and, and the thing is, again, I mentioned earlier that some Scots might not have an affinity with the Lions just because of... But there are flashpoints in the Lions' history, even in losing tours, that stick with anyone. There's another guy on the list that has that same thing from the, the same tour. But remember when Jason Robinson burst onto the scene mm. with the Lions? It was just, you know, you could tell it was something special and that magic was happening. And to see, and then, obviously, okay, I mentioned Lottie Takiri earlier. We'll always remember Lottie Takiri jumping over the top of him. But that World Cup just, it was it was pinball stuff from him. It was speed skating from him, really. And you didn't know where he was going to go. And it was just, that's one of those things where you go, I don't care what colour the jersey he's wearing. I don't care who he's playing against or what's going on. Just inspirational. You know, like, and and obviously for a fat kid like me, potentially breaking your ankles, trying to emulate anything like that. But don't do this at home, kids. But um, just just real fun to watch. Oh, absolutely. And, and that Lions tour in particular you it's one of those rare occasions where there's been a calculated gamble by either by you know whether it was Clive Woodward Graham Henry or or some suits in the RFU but a calculated gambler says we can get this guy over from league and he will be ready in time for the Lions tour and I don't think any gamble of that of that magnitude has ever paid off as much as Jason Robinson did on that tour yeah I think that's fair and and the, the try in particular in the first test at the Gabba, um, you know, it, it, you watch it back now, it's still an amazing finish. And when you add into the fact that that's Chris Latham, he's skinning, who was one of the most, you know, an out-and-out brilliant fullback. Um, and there's very little room. And you just realise how ordinary that Jason Robinson made him look. You're right. It was um, just, a, just a magnificent player and a pure joy to watch. So... Um... We get to the centres and um, 12, there were some, I, get, I mean, you'd highlighted, I hadn't thought about it, but Yannick Jojon was in the for, for 12 for me um, because, again, he was from that generation. Uh, Jean de Villiers was, was in the mix just because solid, uh, you know, do anything he can for the team. Great lines, great changes of direction, good link play, just, just you know, a leader. But in the end, 
and I've made this person captain for purely novelty reasons. Uh, but honestly, going back and watching recently, which is one of these, we talked about being in lockdown and you know endless highlights from uh, games of a bygone era. But actually, going back and watching Gavin Henson uh, from his peak, there was a period of time where sometimes it felt like he was unplayable, and you know it was the hair, it was the, it was the hits, it was the lines, it was the kicking from. Uh, three miles away, it was all of the above, just, yeah, box office. Yeah, I mean, I, as you can imagine, I, I don't need much, uh, I don't need much persuading um, on this one. It, that, that whole kind of, t- autumn of 2004, he showed, he was, he really was international class. He had two fantastic games against New Zealand and South Africa. And that was the first time going into a, a five or six nations as a Wales fan, I thought, do you know what? I, I think we could be onto something this time. And playing England first up at home, I genuinely went into that game thinking, yeah, we can win this, we can win this. And it was such a Henson thing to do to take that. You know, obviously everyone remembers the, you know, the dunk tackles on uh, on Matthew Tate. There was a there was a huge like 60 meter spiral kick that he uh, that he landed in that game as well. And then the uh, the penalty to win it. It, it was just the, the complete performance. Um, he made it look effortless. Now, I don't know, and this could, you know, this could be the fireworks, but not the good kind of fireworks. I don't know how his relationship's going to be with Carlos Spencer, talking through tactics and where he wants the ball and who goes to first receiver at certain times. I don't know how that's going to work, but uh, that's the magic, really, I suppose. If I'm honest, I imagine that Gavin Henson, that's the one player that Gavin Henson at 10 wouldn't be bossing around. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, and and then we get to outside centre and uh, Scott Gibbs uh, try at Wembley was a thing that sticks with every Scott and uh, there was a consideration there for that. Um, Jerry Guskett for that ninety sevens Irons tour was a, a consideration, but in the end it just felt silly. I mean, he, true true world great would be in most people, quite a lot of people's teams, I'm sure. But Brian O'Driscoll just had to be in the mix because just around that period where I was just in in the game when everyone everything was just so exciting and new and fresh he was just incredible and as I mentioned that 2001 Lions tour he was another one that just caught a light I think yeah you, so I think you're the, the fifth or sixth guest that we've we've had on to pick these you're the first one who's actually gone for Odriscoll at 13 which is quite surprising well, I suppose everyone else has gone for a hipster in that position, whereas I've gone for one in every other position. <laughs> that is true. And if I'm honest, I'm more concerned about Henson's relationship with O'Driscoll. I, I wonder how that might work out. It could be magic. It could be absolute catastrophe. It could. I mean, who's? Uh, I'm just thinking who the defensive leader in this backline is going to be. But it does not matter. This is, this is pure, we're going to score more than you territory, this team. Yeah, I mean, you, you promised us a madness. It, it, it's been that so far. Um, can you add to that with the number 15 choice? So number 15, you've actually already mentioned him. Uh, there was a, uh, Around that period as well, Leon McDonald was a player that mm. I really enjoyed watching. Um, ben Smith uh, playing back there for New Zealand uh, in the, in the more modern game has, has, has been something uh, enjoyed to watch. But... The maverick Chris Latham was a guy with his socks around his ankles, just running around, claiming high balls. Um, I just want to see how he'd go in the mix here. You know, I, I, the thing is, is there's going to be a lot of people shouting for the ball in this back line, but I just love the odds 
run from from the back from him. I honestly, I went through a period where um, I was moderately obsessed with Chris Latham, and to the point where if I ever met an Australian, you know, on on a night out or you were just chatting in the pub and someone said, I'll come and meet my mate and, it, and they turned out to be Australian. I couldn't help but start talking about Chris Latham because I just thought, oh, well, here's something we'll have in common because how could you be an Australian and not have the same level of admiration for this guy as I did? Yeah, and it, I, think, I think I called him the maverick there. I've got to respect his ability to end up on the pitch mainly, um, but also in his career, places that you wouldn't expect him to be. I mean, when he signed for Worcester, I was... Very surprised. Um, you know, fair play to him serving as an assistant coach with Samoa during the Rugby World Cup. And now he's in Utah or was in Utah before the, the season was curtailed with uh, in Major League uh, Rugby with the Utah Warriors, which just is another one straight out of the, what? He's gone, where, what, why? Um, but I, I respect that ability to just pop up out of, out of nowhere. Yeah, I had, no, I had no idea that's where he was now. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Willing to try things uh, in his coaching career, and as I think you know, we can talk about how difficult it is to actually crack it in um, in, in coaching and how competitive the market is there. But giving it a go, and I think you know uh, the way that he played, I, it'd be interesting to see how much that translates into how he coaches. But you know, seeing him rock up with Samoa, I was like, yeah, that you know what, get him in there. Let's see what happens. Well, that concludes a beautiful, uh, a beautiful looking backline. Let's just uh, quickly recap on your team, uh, Alan Dewick. So in the pack, Tom Smith, Shelk Britz, David Zirakashvili, Bucky's Bolter, Fabian Palouse, Jerome Kano, Remy Martin, uh, Imanol Aranoliki, and then in the backs, Moses Rauluni, Carlos Spencer, Rupeni Thaythe, Gavin Henson, captain for, uh, for, for sheer fun, Brian O'Driscoll, Jason Robinson and Chris Latham. That's, uh, that's that's pretty special. Yeah, I mean, they are. Imagine the the social afterwards. Yeah, I can only uh, I can only imagine. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to think who's leading it, and all I can think of is uh, is Gavin Henson getting sparked out by Carl Ferns. But um, hopefully, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, you also get to choose uh, to choose the location that this game takes place, the opposition, and the kit. Uh, where would you like to start? Uh, so this game, uh, okay, well, Kit, uh, I, I'd love to see them wearing uh, a navy blue jersey with blood red pinstripes, little thin pinstripes, white shorts, and then navy and red hooped socks. I think that's that's the go-to. What's the, what's the inspiration for that? Uh, so the, my, my team that I, I, I played for when I was younger, Dundee High School, played na- in navy blue and red uh, hoops, but... I just I don't understand why no one ever wears pinstripes. I think uh, uh, you want to talk hipster. Uh, New York uh, Rugby United New York this season their away jersey and maybe maybe even their home jersey had pinstripes, and it reminded me that I, I, I don't understand why vertical stripes always seem. Um, no one ever goes for it in rugby. It's always uh, horizontal hoops. Uh, it's, an inter- it's an interesting um, point. A mate of mine, Ollie, who's been on this podcast a few times, um, he is of the firm belief that you should only be allowed rugby kits in three formats, and that is hoops, quarters, and block colour. That's it. Um, but then he would be the at the other end of the spectrum in terms of hipster and be the ultra traditionalist. He'd be much more interested in your team for the loose heads. Um, but it is your team, Alan Dewey, so we will we will indeed allow the uh, allow the pinstripes. 
I'm imagining Ollie would like it to be really heavy cotton as well. Uh, yeah, as in, you know, a, a few spots of rain and it is, it's, it's doubled its weight. Yeah, no, pinstripes for me, modern fabrics, breathable, sleek. Because um, let's be honest, you're not, well, first for a start, I don't know how big a gut Thou Thou is going to have running around on the wing, so it would be great to see him in these ultra-tight kits. But, you know, Henson, you want him resplendent in the most <clears throat> the finest of garments. Um, so, yeah, that's what we're going for. Um, I'd like them to play at the Alaska Rugby Mountain Grounds because um, I was there uh, last summer uh, for, a, for a feature and it is the most incredible rugby ground I've ever been to in my life. High up in the mountains, um, there's, a, there's a, a miniature pond or lake at one end where the, the, the in-goal area has to be drawn around it slightly. Um, you're high up in the mountains. Uh, in the mornings, sometimes a, a baby bear will wander or a, a moose will stagger across the... Uh, the playing field, um, it's its just an incredible venue. It'd be great to, if you're going to have a friendly match anywhere, I think that'd be great. And, and then you can have a, a loose night out afterwards. That sounds absolutely incredible. And then, yeah, the final, uh, the final choice is who the opposition would be. I would like the opposition to be the Australia 2015 Rugby World Cup team, the exact team that it played in the quarterfinal, please. Okay, why? Uh, what's that choice? Just, uh, just a, a fun side to watch. Uh, a fun side to watch, but really. Ah, uh, of course. Yeah. Sorry, it's just dawned on me. Yeah. So yeah, it's, that that team deserved a loss. So I, I'm hoping that the, this dream team can give it to them. And would you like? Would you like uh, Mr. Joubert to referee as well? Uh, he is no. He's in the royal box uh, with the best view in the house, having to watch the game. Next to a polar bear. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> no, no, I'd like him to enjoy himself. I'd like to enjoy um, enjoy watching uh, Australia lose it. Outstanding stuff. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you uh, very much, Alan, for coming on and picking your Dream 15. No, thank you, Jed. I appreciate it. Podcast Network.